Sharai, the podcast co-hosted by the Governance Program at the Aga Khan University and the International Society for Islamic Legal Studies in cooperation with the University of Bern. Welcome to a new episode of Sharai, the podcast. My name is Gianluca Parolin. And my name is Serena Tolino. In this episode, we are delighted to have as guest Hakli Arslan from the University of Munster. Welcome, Hakli. Welcome also from my side, Hakli. I would like to ask you, tell us something funny about yourself or what do you do in your free time? What hobbies do you have? Thank you very much for this opportunity, first. And my hobbies, actually, um, I have the feeling that with two little kids at home, you don't have free time anymore. So if I don't work or teach, I play uh, with them. I have to play with them, or better, they force me to play with them, <laughs> uh, joking apart. Actually, we often um, take a walk in the forest or at, at the river, and we have become really experts in finding good playgrounds for little ones uh, with many activities. Uh, we love to have breakfast or brunch at the weekend or visit some friends, or if the weather is good enough, we try to make city tours in our region, it depends on different things now, like weather, etc. And we try to have family day at least one day a week. It is mostly um, the Sunday, but sometimes the whole weekend. And um, apart from that, I used to play football and basketball in the past. But in the last few years, the focus shifted towards the other activities uh, I mentioned. You also blog a lot. Is that part of your hobbies as well? I mean, not not a lot. Um, I, I try to write uh, something when I have the time for this and to share some thoughts and some inputs from my research with other students and with family members who are always asking what are you doing over there at the university. And this was the reason why I started my blog and I write some blog articles. And I call my blog Resail. And this is also my focus in my research at the University of Münster. So I try to connect my research with these activities. So Rasail are messages, right? So who is the recipient of those messages for you? I understand Rasail not as message, but of course, the meaning of Rasail is a message, a letter. But I understand them as treatises, short, short texts, which were written from scholars directly to um, social questions to solve uh, or discuss uh, new issues. And this is the way I understand the Rasail. Short texts deal with current issues, written mostly as a direct scholarly response to real-world problems. This is what I understand under Rasail. And content-wise, is this connected to your broader academic interests? Um, yes, I'm currently I'm working at um, Münster uh, University, as you mentioned, in a, let's say, collaborative research center um, in German Sonderforschungsbereich, which is funded by the German Research Foundation. There are 12 different projects from different backgrounds. And our sub-project has a title, Canonization and Diversification of Islamic law and Arabic rhetoric in comparison. So where we look at the different literary manifestations of Islamic legal literature and rhetorical tradition, and the main hypothesis of our sub-project is that in both fields, we can observe a kind of canonization after the 12th, 13th centuries, but that this canonization didn't lead to a stagnation, but led to a process of diversification of literature. 
which on the one hand stabilized the law, but on the other hand opened new space for creativity and change. So new genres emerged, new types of texts were produced, and to show the different functions of uh, each genre uh, and the functional interplay between them is our main concern. And within this paradigm, my specific focus is the interrelationship between the fatwa and the risala literature in the post-formative period, let's say after the 14th and 15th century, uh, with a special focus on the risala literature because it was uh, neglected uh, so far. So I focus more on risala instead uh, on fatwa literature. As I mentioned, <clears throat> risala is a short text written mostly as a direct scholarly response to real-world problem and is an authoritative way, but a more flexible way to deal with current issues, different from fatwas. They have a special uh, fixed format, very formalized way of giving uh, an opinion. And another important thing is that Rasail are not marginal texts, which were only written by a few scholars, but instead it was an accepted and commonly used form of authoritative text writing and way of articulating and discussing legal topics in Islamic law, but also in other disciplines as well. Now, we had a conference two years ago on the Risala literature in other disciplines not limited to, uh, to Islamic law. There we also see that there are thousands of Risala writ written during the Ottoman time, which is my focus uh, of interest, between the 15th and uh, 20th centuries. And by studying them, we have a direct access to debate, to debated legal issues in a given time and space. But another important issue is that studying them isolated from the other genres doesn't reveal so much. So you have to combine all the other genres available at that time to highlight the different aspects of a specific issue. And this is why we study specific genres. In my case, it's Risala, always in relation to other genres um, and texts. So the genre study is also in our focus of, uh, of interest in Münster. So basically, we are already in the middle of what you are working on at the moment. Now tell us more about what you will present us in uh, in London. Yes, I mean, the picture I presented previously, the need for a holistic perspective, where different layers of legal literature were taken into account, is the starting point of my paper. And in this paper, I try to connect the discourses in the Muhtasar Sherhashi literature with the Risala, Fetwa and court documents to show how a marginal opinion within a school became the dominant opinion after a long period and process of negotiation on different levels. So this interplay between different layers of legal literature is what I want to show in my paper. And Mullah Husrev is a starting point. His Risala on Wala, the patronage law, is the starting point. And at his time, maybe I can elaborate it a little bit, the content, At this time, a specific issue within the patronage law became very hot debated. It was a question about the inheritance of a person whose father was a freed slave and his mother a free woman without a slavery background. So the dominant position within the Hanifi school was that in this case, uh, the former owner of the father would still have the right for inheritance because the Wela relation still exists. But Mullah Husserl opposed this view, very, very brief, <laughs> this summary, But Malachusa opposed uh, this view and said that when a freed slave marries a free woman, then the offsprings are not bound to the Wella relation anymore, and the former owner couldn't inherit them. So about the details, we can talk, of course, in the conference, but this, this is uh, the main question. And he first issued a fatwa with this marginal opinion, 
then wrote a risala, and after he received a harsh critique and response from his colleague and opponent Molagurani, he decided to write another risala to defend uh, his position, and then he integrated this position into his Furu al-Fiqh book at Durash. It is a commentary on his auto commentary on his own Tasar. So he con contributed to this question at least on three layers. Sher, uh, Risala, and, 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 and Fatwa. And in the following 200 years after Mullah Husserl, many Risail were written to either defend or reject Mullah Husserl's position, and dozens of Fatwa were issued from different Sheikhul Islams, and it was a highly debated issue at the courts. And very briefly in this paper, I, I try to show how a marginal opinion, which initially was vehemently rejected at the beginning, maybe the first 20, 30, 40 years, gradually received support and becomes, uh, became the dominant uh, opinion after about 150 years. Now, it's not exactly 150 years, but approximately 150 years to 200 years, it became the dominant opinion. And when it came to Ibn Abidin, for example, in the 19th century, he said that this debate this was a hot debate in the 16th, 17th century, but nowadays the opinion of Mullah Husserl is the dominant one. Or oh, it was not a big issue anymore in the 19th century. It sounds like a very familiar dynamic to the one that we see in uh, current academia. So I wonder if in the following of this trajectory that you trace, the disciples of Mullah Khosrow play a significant role. That is, how important is it that he founded a madrasa and he had this following? Uh, did you encounter any of that? Yes, of course. Uh, I mean, uh, Mullah Khosrow was a very influential scholar at his time, and he has a very high reputation. But on the other side, uh, we see that in the first 14, 50 years, his position on that was not followed for many scholars. So he was a very influential scholar, but that doesn't mean that automatically his opinion or his books were accepted immediately. I think this is a process of negotiation, and there is also a reviewing process. It was not only his authority, his influential position in the state and in the hierarchy of the ulama, which decided his influence. And the same we can say uh, about his Puru al fiqh book at Durar. In many secondary literature, we see sentences like uh, Mullah Husrev Durar and Ibrahim al-Halabi's uh, Multaqa were two canon-like texts in the Ottoman uh, context. But if you look at the 15th, 16th century, um, we see other books which were much more influential than Mullah Husrev Durar. So it uh, became dominant, it became a canon-like book only after 150 or 200 years. So we have to take this into consideration. And maybe this has also to do with his position on Onwala. Not only, but maybe there is a connection that he had some views in his book, uh, which were marginal positions, and this uh, led uh, to the fact that his book uh, was not accepted as a canon-like uh, book in Ottoman immediately, but became only after 200 years. And we can say similar things also about Ibrahim al-Halabi and his book, Multakal Epur, which became authority after the process of uh, negotiation also. 
Thank you a lot. So we are looking forward to seeing you in London. Thank you very much. We are definitely looking forward to hearing your paper and meeting you in person in London. Thank you, Happy. Thank you.